Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, plucky listeners across the globe. Your Greyhounds Make Great Pets hosts are back with yet another fabulous show for your listening pleasure. Our guest today is Sean Fluharty, who is a member of the West Virginia House of Delegates representing District 3. And we will be discussing politics and specifically the upcoming fight to preserve greyhound racing and related employment in West Virginia. But first... I'd like to remind you that advanced registration for the Solvang Gathering in picturesque Solvang, California is open for a few more weeks, so do it now! The event will be held January 9th through 12th, 2020. Visit the Solvang Gathering's Facebook page for info and updates. Sandy Paws, Great Fun in the Sun's 2020 dates are March 11th, through March 15th, and the event will be held at Villas by the Sea Conference Center on beautiful Jekyll Island, Georgia. It is a great place to go, whether it's a one-day trip or a week and full of golf. It is the ultimate graycation destination, and that's why I'm going to be there. For info and updates, visit their website at sandypaws.org. If your adoption group has an upcoming event that you would like the world of GMGP listeners to know about, send us an email with a full 411. And our email is gmgp3, that's the number three, at yahoo.com. Now, before we bring on our guest, uh, Rory, I believe you have some very cool news for the greyhound lovers in the Southwest. That's correct. Tomorrow, and uh, 40 greyhounds will be loaded up on a hauler. And heading from Kansas, Abilene, here to the southwest. They will be doing a drop of greyhounds in New Mexico with the Greyhound Adoption League. Then they will be uh, dropping off some greyhounds in uh, the Verde Valley here in Arizona. Then coming on in here to the Phoenix area where several groups will be getting their dogs for adoption. So really excited that we we were able to pull this off. And I want to thank Trish for all the work that she's done. It's just been fantastic helping putting this haul together. Yeah. But very exciting, and uh, just want to let everyone know out west that there will be more dogs coming. I'm currently working on getting dogs from Florida, getting a move to Kansas, and then once we have enough dogs to put on a haul, move them on out west or to the greater northwest. So exciting. With that, I think it's time to raise a little hell. What the hell? I take safety seriously. We have people's lives, horses' lives at risk, and if, if we're not taking safety seriously, what the hell? That was taken from a meeting, actually an Arizona Racing Commission meeting, uh, last January when I decided to raise a little hell. I did so because I took an oath of office to defend all those that participate and to make sure it's always regulated right. I take my duty seriously and believe in supporting the men and women and the horses and the greyhounds involved. I think it's time to raise a little hell again. We have real problems in this country. We have numerous of our citizens without jobs. We have too many of our own living on the street. We have too many active military, veterans, first responders committing suicide. Is it not time we take have some real debate 
and discussion and resolve these real issues? Greyhound and horse racing is not the issue. Those who want to end Greyhound and horse racing like PETA, HSUS, and Grey2K, the politicians working for them, they are the problem preventing us from helping those who really need us the most. If we can't care for those without jobs, those without homes, those so troubled that they take their own life, then we are not humane. Putting animals before those makes us the most inhumane we can be. Time for us to stand up and defend those without jobs, homes, and in need. Time for us to reach out and offer a hand. Time for us to become humane again and tell the likes of PETA, HSUS, and Grey2K, we're going to raise a little hell and reclaim the humane movement for our own. Everyone, let's raise a little hell and take the humane movement back. With that, Kathy, why don't you bring our guest on? All righty. And we'd like to welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets, Sean Flaherty, who is, as I said earlier, a member of the West Virginia House of Delegates. And he has some very strong feelings about preserving greyhound racing <laughs> in West Virginia. Sean, welcome to GMGP. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon. Yes, it's great to have you. Um, you know, I, I was just... Uh, this morning I was doing a little research and I was reading, um, where was it, um, Carmichael, I think, uh, the, there's yep. a, that's thinking of proposing a bill to, uh, to basically end greyhound racing. And I was reading on his Facebook page and all that how he is so into you know, jobs, protecting the citizens of West Virginia. And I'm just thinking to myself, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why are you then so against all these hardworking people in greyhound racing? It just boggles my mind. And as a Republican, a conservative, that just pisses me off to no end. He, he, I, I, it just boggles my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not the only one. Just a little bit of background on that. So Senator Carmichael is the Senate president in, in the West Virginia legislature. So obviously he holds a lot of power and can move legislation when he feels it's warranted. And what's happening now is, and you mentioned grade 2K earlier, They've hired some lobbyists to, on this issue in West Virginia, and we fought it two years ago previously. And similar state of affairs, it, it went through the legislative process and actually technically passed, and the governor vetoed the bill at the last minute, which, was, which stopped any veto override. And we thought, okay, we're good to go. Two years later, here we are again fighting it. And they actually hired, you mentioned the Republicans, the G, former GOP chair of West Virginia, is now a lobbyist. You know how these things work. Yep. Uh, he was a GOP chairman for a while, and he went on to Greener Pastures. He ran for Congress and lost, and then uh, he, he went to Greener Pastures, meaning more money, and became a lobbyist. And he's a lobbyist now in the legislature. His name's Conrad Lucas, and he was hired by Gray2K to be their lobbyist. So you circle ahead two years, and who has the ear of the Senate president? Well, obviously the former GOP chairman does. Yep. And now this issue is back again. And, you know... If it, had, if it was based on facts, I'd support it, but it's just not. It's, it's based on fear and outright lies, which is how Grade 2K operates and, and unfortunately how many politicians operate in the state of West Virginia. And we have a fight on our hands, and I serve a district where we have a Greyhound track, and we have you know, a lot of employees and families who rely on this industry, and, and they're wondering, why should I stay here, or what, my, what does my future look like? And that's the impact that is awaiting potentially this legislative session when we go down in January. 
Exactly. And uh, with what you just said, I'm reminded of what happened here in Arizona. Gray 2K went and hired a well-respected uh, lobbyist who was respected by people of, on both sides of the aisle. And he then spent his time going around, getting in the ear of everyone. And, of course, they, as soon as the session opened, they had it, had it in with you know Republicans and Democrats on both sides. And that's how they worked it. And then I remember sitting in some of the hearings and the people, the senators, representatives, it was almost like they're like, oh, so-and-so, yeah, you are such a good lobbyist. It's great to see you back. Oh, great 2K, what an awesome name. Not really <laughs> thinking of looking at the facts. And for, for myself, and I know you're more involved in it, I find that the most frustrating part when you have senators and representatives not willing to take some time and listen and get the facts. That's the biggest issue, and what they're doing as far as the outright lies. So they're going around saying that we're subsidizing the industry. And when you hear that term, don't you think when you hear the term subsidy that taxpayers are paying for it, right? Yeah. I think the average person on the street, when they hear subsidy, they think I'm paying for that. And that's just an outright lie. What we have, uh, all the revenue gets collected at the casinos. And, for example, I'm in the northern panhandle of West Virginia. I serve Wheeling, West Virginia, uh, in, in the area of Ohio County. And we're sandwiched between Ohio, the state of Ohio and the state of Pennsylvania. I mean, we're about 11-mile strip. So uh, we have a casino here, and we're on the border, so we get a lot of influence from Ohio and Pennsylvania. And we generate that money. It's collected at the casinos. It then goes to Charleston, the state capital, and the politicians get their hands on it. And it's held, and then there's a, a, a sliver that gets cut off for what's called the purse fund. So that money is all raised at the casinos. It's taxed at 51%, sometimes even higher. And then it goes back, a portion of that is about $13 million, goes back to the purse fund. So the idea that this is a subsidy is just erroneous, because if you didn't go to the casino, guess what? You didn't pay a penny towards the Greyhound industry. Exactly. And we're being told on a daily basis that this is a subsidy. I mean, I'm all over the press fighting it back because that's the talking point, but it's hard to fight that back because it's a good talking point because then it gets people involved who were never involved and don't want to be involved, but they think they are based upon the false perception that there is a subsidy from taxpayers paying for this industry. And that's the starting point of where this is all going. Yeah, they did the same thing. I uh, see member in other states. Um, if they well, have, they'll pick a point. point. Uh, in Florida, it was you know one dog dies every three days or right. something in, like that. In Arizona, the, yeah. the Breeders Awards or uh, the tax benefit that the tracks had been given. Now, what they didn't want to tell anyone is that the tracks had been given this tax benefit because the tribes negotiated a tribal compact and they wanted to be the only ones with casinos. So, in order to help the the racetracks out, they gave them a little tax break. Well, here they come talking about, oh, they got this tax break. They're taking the people's money. No, they yeah. weren't. Um, it, yeah, that, that subsidy. That, yeah, and I know Kerry Thiel likes to drag out his little dictionary and talk about, you know. The definition the, the, the of definition the word subsidy of, per but, the you dictionary. Know, you know, Kerry, yeah. you are, again, a freeloader. Get a real job, Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> he is not a fan of mine, that's for sure. And uh, we're going to have a nice battle come January. But uh, another kind of side story to this is uh, you mentioned how they try to act like, oh, it's so inhumane and these dogs don't get adopted. And the statistics up in, our, in my area that 95% of all greyhounds are adopted out through the program after they retire, which is 
much better than the adoption rate when you start looking at the local kennels basically across the entire country. So, number one, that's not an issue, and they're not treated inhumanely, and they are adopted out and make great pets. Uh, and, and secondly, there's a story now that's running around the legislature and the state. There was a dog that was named after me uh, <laughs> by a kennel owner, and the dog was named Sean Fluarty. And this dog was racing in Arkansas, and unfortunately, he broke his leg. Now, I've even seen the vet bills. They spent thousands of dollars to repair Sean Fluarty, and he's, he's doing very well. And if you go to my Facebook and Twitter page, you can see he was actually walking in the local Christmas parade that we had here. <laughs> and he was part of the parade, and I got a picture with him. You know, It was a, a selfie of sorts uh, with, with Sean Fluarty the Greyhound. And, uh, but the point is, they're using this as an attack now. They're saying, oh, you know, he broke his leg, and therefore, Sean Fluharty broke his leg, and he was named after me, and, you know, just a bunch of nonsense. And then the reality is, yeah, and he's doing very well, and the money was spent to make sure he's doing very well, and he continues to do well, and will be adopted out just like many other greyhounds. But that's another story that's added to this, and that's something Great 2K does, because they like to sensationalize things and not, not actually operate on facts. Exactly. And with that, there was a, was it a year ago? There was a greyhound from Florida that they were making a big to-do about, oh, this greyhound's missing. What happened to it? And uh, it was WW's Flicka. Well, I happened to be in Kansas one week, and I was like, well, let me go find Flicka. It can't be that hard to find Flicka. <laughs> Flicka can't be missing. And I called, asked, was told where Flicka was at, and I was able to find Flicka. But they like to make these things out like, oh, these dogs disappeared. No, they don't. And our adoption rate, and again, being involved in adoption, I know this for a fact, our adoption rates are much better than, they're fantastic. They're much, but they're much better than PETA's. PETA kills a high percentage of the animals in their shelter there. It's, it's outrageous that these people are inhumane, and our Men and women work in the backsides of horse tracks, dog tracks. They're the most humane people I have ever met. They're hardworking, paying, tax-paying citizens. They contribute. It's just so frustrating to see these people attacked the way they are by these soulless, clueless people. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So, um, you know, the state of West Virginia is not a very big state. Our population is roughly 1.8 million. Uh, our economy is not one that's thriving. In fact, I think a report came out this past week that um, we're going to have, one, if not the worst, one of the worst economies going forward for the next six to 12 months. So we're, we're hitting the panic button in the legislature because the governor came out and said, we need to focus on reducing our budget by $100 million. Well, that's not easily done. So the last thing you need to be doing is taking away 1,700 jobs from the state taking away families who live, reside, work here, pay taxes here. And a study was done that was released in, I believe, 2015. The numbers may be from 2012. Um, and it's from Western University, which is our flagship university. It was done objectively by an economist. So it's not like it was a paid, you know, how you have push polling and paid yep, polling yep. and paid studies, which Grade 2K does all the time, and they've done it recently in the state. So this was not paid for by anybody with uh, any influence or a, a stake in the game. It was done through West Virginia University, and it was just the global impact of racing in West Virginia, greyhound and thoroughbred. And we're talking a total of 7,300 jobs in West Virginia for both industries. Greyhounds, they carved out at about 1,700. We're talking, I believe it was over $300 million in total business volume for the state's economy. And, and that's about 12% of our leisure and hospitality sector statewide. So these, and they're also generating, I believe it was over $100 million in total employee compensation 
and uh, 4.6 million in state tax revenue. So when you start crunching those numbers, and you're going to put a dent in those numbers because you're going after the greyhound industry, and let's be realistic about this: if you're going after the greyhounds, you're going after the thoroughbreds next. Yep. And that's how it'll work. And uh, these groups will not stop. They're not going to stop just because they got rid of the greyhounds. They're not going to stop at anything. And uh, when you start talking those numbers in the state's economy and one that's fluttering as it is, it makes zero sense, especially if you are on the conservative side. You know, GOP runs on issues about one smaller government. This is the government stepping in and, and doing away with the business. Uh, you're going against those principles. And the idea that you want to flourish and promote businesses and capitalism, well, guess what? You're not. Exactly. So what exactly are you doing here? You're just appeasing lobbyists and your, your buddies. It's a buddy system in many states. It's politics in general. And it's very heavily done here in West Virginia. Well, and that's the one thing that I have never really been able to understand is how, well, I mean, I understand it, but I don't feel it's right, is a lobbying organization that is based in a different state comes into state number two and tries to inflict their will and their thoughts and their wants on another state where in, and now in this case, you know, you're looking at 1,700 jobs, plus, as you said, families who, if you don't have a job in a state and you can't find one, you are going to move to somewhere where you can find employment or a livelihood. So you've got an organization in Massachusetts that's coming down to West Virginia saying, you guys better do this. And what good does it do for West Virginia as a state? economy-wise or resident-wise. They don't care. They're leaving as soon as they get what they want. Carrie and Christine are raising more money, keeping their jobs. They don't care about these people's jobs. I know here in Arizona, we still have people who worked on the backside of Tucson Greyhound Park still struggling yes, today, today to make yep. it, wondering where their next paycheck is coming this close to being out on the streets. They don't care. 1700 You know what really you – know, uh, there's a lot of things that frustrate me. You're, but, you're on a roll today. But <laughs> – I, 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 I'm going to the highest law office of the land. President Trump, will you please tell your daughter-in-law to shut up? She, you know, you want to talk about making America great again. Do you know how many jobs she just destro helped destroy in Florida? And please keep her out of West Virginia because we don't need those 1,700 jobs destroyed there as well. Well, that's just it. Uh, people don't realize, and, and a lot of the tactics they use, they'll say, well, we don't believe those job numbers are accurate because they're basing on the fact if you go to the track itself, you don't see everything, right? You only see right. the finished product. And the reality is, if you actually pay attention to my district and the trucks that are going up and down the road from, from the various kennels, you'll see them, and you'll see that there's a lot of employees involved. And not only that, the amount of you have your direct revenue, which I would consider revenue derived from the racing itself, but then you have the indirect revenue. And that's where a large portion of the money comes from that you don't necessarily see on a regular basis in the employees that are involved and those who are responsible from getting from the starting line to the finish line. And they only want to focus on the finish line, which is the track itself. And they try to say, well, the job numbers just aren't quite like that. Of course, those who are saying it aren't taking the time to speak to the families, go to the kennels, and understand exactly how this process works. You know, that's a good point. Uh, last year, I was working with a senator here in Arizona um, on a racing bill re regarding thoroughbred racing, and 
he did not know, understand uh, on the thoroughbreds. He did not understand all that goes on behind the scene. He just thought thoroughbred racing was a bunch of old men sitting down at the track betting on the horses. He did not understand all the farms and all the people on the farms working. He didn't understand all the people back in the stables working. That how it was a huge contribution to the state of Arizona's economy and provided good paying jobs that these people pay their taxes. And I would just encourage anyone in, in the Senate and Rep House of Representatives in West Virginia, take some time and go out and visit the farm. Go visit the track. Get to know these people. Get your facts. Don't listen to Gray 2K. Get it from the people who really are know it and are from your state, the people you represent. And they can show you exactly what's going on rather than just hearing somebody talk to you intently for two minutes straight and just hammering you with information that they want you to hear. Oh, that's right. I mean, uh, they're getting hit with talking points and false stories, and they'll pluck one or two uh, bad examples out of literally thousands they could use of the good, on the good side, and they use that to base their argument. And we're talking about uh, an industry in West Virginia that has been around uh, the legislature passed a bill back in um, 1975 for paramutual racing. And then 1976 is when Greyhound Racing started, got up and running at Wheeling Island Casino Racetrack, which is the area that I represent. So in my area, it's a staple. We're talking 1976. Guess what? I wasn't born yet. So, <laughs> and I'm feeling pretty old right now. So, you know, I, I think uh, when you start looking at it that way, and I would ask anybody, even those who oppose Greyhound Racing. So since 1976, can you give me some examples of bad actors in this area of where things are not done up to par, where there are issues with this industry? Good luck, because those are the type of stories that make front-page news if something bad happens. We know that. That's the type of story that tugs at the heartstrings. If it wasn't for that fact, Great 2K wouldn't exist. But because they can, they can put forward a story that can, pull, that can tug at the heartstrings and touch on an issue, and we're talking about greyhounds, it makes it easier for them to do so. But the reality is it's not a, an industry that treats dogs inhumanely or has had bad actors overall. And we have evidence of it literally decades here in Wheeling and here in the state of West Virginia itself that says otherwise. But we don't base, uh, and my colleagues and politicians in general don't like facts and evidence, right? They like the rundown, the one-sheet yeah. talking points. And, and what has happened, because Greyhound Racing has been – a staple in West Virginia for so long. I mean, former Governor Earl Ray Tomlin has been in the industry for many years. They haven't had a lobby. So while we're talking about lobbyists, you know, Gray 2K is coming in, and they're trying to flex muscles in West Virginia. You know who's lobbying for the Greyhound organization? Those who actually work in it. You know, the kennel owners, those who are at the tracks, those who have moved here from Kansas and other parts of the country because they wanted to have a career in West Virginia and at, uh, in, in Wheeling at the track. They're the ones taking times out of their day to drive three hours from Wheeling to Charleston when we had the debate last time, to sit in the galleries and listen to the debate, to actually visit the offices of the legislators and say, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing here? This impacts me. They weren't spending money to hire lobbyists because, quite frankly, they don't know how or where to even start because they haven't had to. They never thought that they would come where their career would be in jeopardy because they do things by the book and do it the right way. But here we are uh, now on a four-year fight to in, in this dark area, this gray area, I should say, where we don't know what's next. We don't know if Senator Carmichael will push 
this legislation. Uh, and something that really just ticked me off the other day is um, that Carrie Teal from Grade 2K made a statement to the press, essentially, well, you know, Delegate Fluharty and others should, should come to the table and negotiate with us. Why? Excuse me? Well, so- Excuse me? Like, <laughs> you're not even from here, dude. You're not even from <laughs> West Virginia. We, uh, negotiate with you? What power do you yield over the legislature? Which goes to show you just the pompous attitude that not just Grade 2K, but lobbyists in general want to flex their muscles and, and say that, you know, we work for them. Last time I checked, I was elected to work for the people of West Virginia, and I'm their lobbyist, okay? Yeah. And that's how this is going to operate. But the idea that they can come into a state they don't even reside in and then have the, the audacity to say, uh, you need to come to the table and, and negotiate with us. I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen. That's a lot of hubris, that, I would say. <laughs> that, and that was something here in Arizona, because at that time when Arizona went down, I was again at that time the chairman of the Racing Commission, and I was – running into the frustration because I knew Gray 2K was in town meeting with various members of the House and Senate and um, the racing department. And I kept saying, I want to be included in these meetings. I was never allowed to be a participant. And as, as the chairman of the Racing Commission, I felt I represent these people on the backside. I represent the animals. I should be included, but I was not allowed to be included. And you know, one thing Gray 2K doesn't want people to know, I've been in an adoption since 1993. I've been president of Greyhound Pets of America. This is my, they unfortunately dragged me out of retirement, brought me back. I've been involved in the welfare of Greyhounds for over, over, 20, tw- years. over 20 years. I've been involved in the regulation of Greyhound and horse racing, overseeing it, having the most utmost respect and care for the, that these animals are taken care of. No one wanted to listen to me, but they listened to these idiots from Massachusetts who don't even know anything about greyhound racing or horse racing. Well, do you know why? Why? Because you don't have that kind of money behind you. <laughs> because apparently, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. yeah. Because I mean, it's interesting that you have an organization that survives, quote quote, on donations. Uh, yet they're salaried, and and there's nothing against that. However. That money and those donations that they get in must be pretty dang sizable if they can get these very top-of-the-line lobbyists. And, you know, that in in itself is something very hard to fight against, I would imagine, because when you've got, as you said, Sean, um, someone now that's well-respected in West Virginia and knows everybody and, you you know, everybody can slap each other on the back and go, oh, yeah, remember when we did this and blah, 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 blah. And you've got another faction that's maybe newer or, or against the grain or not going along with the flow, and yet you have the truth behind you. It's, you're, it's a total uphill battle, unfair, but totally uphill. Exactly. Now, before we go to break, I did, because, uh, Sean, you were talking about the, all these people in the industry working, representing themselves. I do want to let our listeners know uh, they heard my segment earlier, what I did say, where we are going to raise a little hell. I want to let everyone know there is a T-shirt being worked on, and the money from that T-shirt will go to West Virginia and the NGA Lobbying Fund to help the efforts to Great. save these jobs for all these wonderful people back there. So just want to let everyone know we will have some raise a little hell shirts for everyone to let 
These whack jobs know we're taking the movement back. You're just full of surprise information today, sir. (laughs) 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 Well, you know what? We're kind of at a lull right now. And if our engineer, the fantastic Aaron, is paying attention, because he better, um, you want to go to break just a little early, and then we can get back into more of our conversation today. So, Aaron, take it to commercials. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation, Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. 
Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. GPA, Greyhound Pets of America. We're talking cool greyhounds. Come on down to the GPA, cause the greyhounds need a good place to stay. Great with the kids, cause they love to play down at the GPA. While they've worked so hard, now they need a rest. But when you take one home, you see they're the best. Greyhound Rocket says it on my best. Come and see us at the GPA. Come on down to the GPA. Call 800-366-1472. Or contact greyhoundpets.org. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. And we are back with Greyhounds Make Great Pets and more of our conversation with our guest today, Sean Fluharty from the West Virginia House of Delegates. We are talking Greyhound racing and the status of racing and jobs in West Virginia and what's going on and maybe how we can help. Right. And with that, um, Sean, for our listeners, i Pretty sure a lot of them may not know how the process works. I know, like last year, with there was a bill I was thinking of working on for the racing commission, and knew I had to go down and grab a, a sleeve and get it just written on there that there may be a bill proposed for that that we would eventually file, which we never did do. But for our, for our listeners, can you kind of take them through the process of how the how does the bill get started and how does it get through the process, or how can it be killed? Those type of things. Okay. Um, full well, short. First off, say if I have a bill idea as an elected official, and it could just be the idea. Uh, I, could, I could walk down to bill drafting and say, you know, here, here's the idea that I had for a bill, and we have attorneys who work in the bill drafting area who can pinpoint the state code on that issue and draft legislation based on it. You can also, as it is done many times, uh, people who have bills they want to propose can draft it themselves, it goes, but still goes through the same process submitted to bill drafting and it gets submitted through there, goes through the bill drafting process, becomes an actual bill and gets a number. So it gets introduced. So all bills can be introduced. Once they're introduced and have a number assigned to them, it doesn't mean anything other than the fact it's introduced. And there could be many of the same bill get introduced. That's how it works. There'll be thousands introduced, but thousands won't pass every session. 
So once it's introduced uh, on my side of the aisle, the House side, the Speaker decides what committees it goes to. So normally, if you want to build, be on the fast track to pass, you want what's called single reference. That means going to one committee. Uh, if it's a bill that the Speaker doesn't like or the majority doesn't like, they'll triple reference it, which means three committees, which is basically saying good luck getting out of the committees. And then the decision on whether the bills even go on to those committees is decided by the chair of the committee. So, for example, uh, if we're going to talk about the Greyhound bill, the Greyhound bill would um, it could potentially go to judiciary, which is what I serve on. I'm the minority vice chair of judiciary committee, uh, but it could all most likely would go to finance to start. And if it goes to finance, the finance chairman then has the ability to say whether it goes to the actual committee or not for being taken up a committee. In other words. It can be assigned to finance, and it could sit there the entire session and collect dust, which is what we would like for it to do. However, uh, if, the pe- if the pressure gets too high and the speaker says you need to run this bill, or if the uh, politicking uh, gets into play in the, in the lobbyists, they'll say you've got to put it on the committee. You've got to run the bill. Mm-hmm. Once it goes to the committee, the committee votes on it. So say the finance committee votes in favor of the bill that would end Greyhound Racing. It would then travel to another committee potentially, it could go judiciary, it could go anywhere, wherever it gets assigned based upon the jurisdiction of the bill. Long story short, it ends up on the House floor. Once it gets to the House floor, it goes through three readings on three separate days unless we suspend the constitutional rules. So you read it the first time on the House floor, the second time is the amendment stage. So any opportunity to make the bill better, uh, to kill the bad parts, add good parts, the amendment stage, you can do it there. And then on third reading is the passage stage. So that's kind of the work for the calendar. Once it gets passed by the House, then that same process happens over in the Senate and vice versa. If the bill originates in the Senate, it can come over to the House, and sometimes you'll run competing bills uh, that are similar in the House and Senate and see which one crosses over first. And we all have to do that within 60 days, and there's obviously uh, a bunch of different rules involved with, with the bills themselves as they go back and forth, but that's kind of a brief rundown, as briefly as I can be with it, of how a legislative process works. But in other words, there's no guarantee that because a bill is introduced, it's going to pass. There's no guarantee that it's even going to be taken up. There's no guarantee if a bill passes out of committee that it'll pass at the end of the day. And and a lot of people are confused by that because they'll read or they'll hear that a bill made it out of a committee, and they'll think, oh, no, it it passed. No, it hasn't passed yet. In fact, it it has barely rounded first base. So, um, you know, I get those phone calls and concerns a lot, which makes sense because the way it gets reported makes it seem like it's on, you know, it's ready to be finalized. Yeah, and Great 2K loves doing that. Every time a bill passes a committee, they're like, oh, we just won, and all their minions are then sending more money. But, you know, there's a lot lot involved. And, you know, something, another thing I want to kind of address with you, um, people might think, oh, God, politics sucks, but serving is is an honor and it is there is a lot of gratitude of being being able to serve the people we work with and i know years a few years ago in west virginia there was a nutcase um cindy whatever that you know she got Fritch. in yeah fritz got into <laughs> politics and i just want to encourage people good hard working people you know to give politics a a thought because we what we need is good hard working people who will listen to get into politics if you're angry with the way things are going give it a consideration and maybe we can make together we can make a change uh, what what are your thoughts of serving is it pleasurable 
Is it what you expected? I love it during session. Uh, It is what I expected. I mean, the roll up your sleeves and fight in session, uh, maybe not as... It's very political during session. I didn't quite expect it to be as political during session, if that makes sense. You know, I, I get the politic and before you get there, once elections happen and you're an elected representative, I think you're all, you should be there for the common good. And you're not, you're not going to have the same goals in mind. Well, you should have the same goal to get at the, at the end. Getting there might have different views, but let's all get on board for the idea, right? Right. That doesn't necessarily happen. You, you, a lot of politics happens during session, and that's probably the most frustrating part for me. Uh, I'm not big on politics. Outside, you know, I'm not a big politicking kind of guy. My background is not. I, I, I'm a, a kid who grew up in Wade Trailer Park in Marshall County and uh, you know, ended up working my way through school, went to law school, became an attorney, jumped into politics. But I'm, I have no political ba- ba- background with my family. Dad's electrician, mom's teacher's aide for special needs kids, and you know they weren't really following politics all that much. But I grew up with the frustrations of the stereotypes of West Virginia and the things that come with it, and that, narr- that negative stereotype that has followed us and continues to plague our state is something that I wanted to, to change. And to me, the way to change that is to get involved in the community and become part of the community and be a voice for those who, who need it, who haven't had it in a long time, and that's through the political process. And it can get ugly. And, you know, my parents, they, don't, they get frustrated when I get attacked with negative ads that are complete BS. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the risk is worth the reward. And the reward is making a difference in people's lives and seeing that difference and having a substantive change that actually helps people. And uh, I think what's, when you say ordinary people need to get involved, I couldn't agree more. Because I, I love my colleagues, but a lot of them are from the political background. And they're, you know... Daddy was a politician or have a lot of money and you can get in easier. Uh, I kind of had to like pull the rope and, and <laughs> inch my way in. I didn't win right away. I kept running. Uh, the first race that I won, I believe I won by about 39 votes. And uh, <laughs> I've since turned it into about 8,000. So, you know, I'm trajectory in the, in the right way. Yeah. But point being, uh, you can still get involved. You don't have to look at it and say, well, I, I can never get involved. I don't have the money or I don't have the connections. You just got to work a little harder. And, and if you want to make a difference, it's well worth it. Um, but I couldn't agree more that the idea that we have the same sort of person running on both sides of the aisle is not something that's good for our country. You got to have the average person out there saying, wait a minute, I want to be part of this too. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing you definitely don't need more of out there are people who are getting into politics for an ulterior motive, i.e., oh, I don't like this one thing, so I'm going yeah. to, you know, get into government so I can change this one thing. And you become tunneled because I would think that that just spirals into who you associate with, who you side with. If they can do something for you that's going to, you know, example, those who dislike Greyhound racing, it's like, okay, they're all going to hang together and they're not going to listen to the to the other side and the truth. So, you know, you've, you've got people getting into things for the wrong reasons. And it definitely, Sean, sounds like you chose your path for the greater good. And, and it's nice to know that there are still politicians like that out there. Right. And Wait. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. I'll let you. You outrank me. <laughs> I was going to say, I was just going to say, you know, uh, the benefit of that is that when a lobbyist comes knocking on my door, <laughs> you know, they may get it slammed in their face because. You know, I don't play those games. I don't have to play those games. I wasn't bought and sold to get in. Uh, so that's the benefit. And I think you're seeing that nationwide. You're seeing a lot of now politicians and that are 
fundraising off of ten, twenty, thirty dollars as a chunk and have the ability through social media to spread their message to thousands and thousands of people. And that's changing the game because the idea that you have to cozy up to a certain select few who can write you the big checks, those days are, you know, they're always going to be there, but you can now compete in a different type of society in a different type of world where you could talk to thousands of people. And if they love your message, they can throw you $10, $20 here. And that makes a huge difference. And we're seeing that nationwide with, with Congress and the fundraising that's going on uh, at the presidential level as well. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing because when you only have a select few contributing and they're writing the big checks, obviously they're doing it for a reason. And that reason is to have the access and to get what they want. Exactly. I remember years ago, that was my first lesson I learned was that was what the lobbyist was for, to get you access into the politician. Another thing for our listeners to consider is I know when I'm at a racing commission meeting, I love when there's a full house. And my most ex- the best, most fun I have is to call to the public because that's when I get to hear from the public and listen to them. And I just want to encourage our listeners, don't be afraid to write letters to the politicians. Don't be afraid to go to your local uh, city council meetings or go to your, if, you're, if you can, go to the state uh, meetings and voice your concern, voice what you have, to want these people to say. Without your voice, they don't know what you ha- are wanting out of them. Um, and, you know, I can go with the experience I had. My first meeting, actually, no, it was not my first meeting. It was a second meeting. I apparently had voted the previous meeting a way one of the horse people did not like. And during call of the public, he ripped me a new one. I didn't get mad at what he said about me. I took what he said back and started thinking about it. And over time, I did change my position on how I voted that previous meeting. And now today, that guy who ripped me a new one, we're best friends. We talk all the time. But if he had not yeah. stood up and, and called me out for what I did, what he felt was wrong, he would not have changed my, my thoughts. Yeah, and, and there's still an opportunity for bipartisanship in this yeah. country. I know it, it feels like it's dead, but it's certainly not. And in fact, just um, a few weeks ago, I teamed up with Moore Capito, who is the son of Shelley Moore Capito, uh, U.S. Senator from West Virginia, and he's a, he's a delegate who serves with me, and he serves on Judiciary Committee with me, and um, we formed a tech caucus, and the, the point I chair on the Democratic side, he's chairing on the Republican side, and the point being, um, we did this with a common goal, right? We need to diversify our economy. We rely too much on the extraction industry in West Virginia. It has been, it has carried us for many, many years, but and objectively speaking, it looks like it's not going to be able to carry the weight that it has in the past. Therefore, we must diversify our economy to sustain what we have and build on it. And it, I've even received flack because I'm out here by, in a bipartisan manner <laughs> teaming up with somebody. No, that's the reality we live in now, right? Right. Uh, even, even my local newspaper was, like, attempting to rip me. I'm like, give me a break. Like, uh, the last time I checked, you should be <laughs> rewarding me and saying, you know, this, this is a good thing. We have a, a local representative who's wor- working across the aisle and come up with new ideas. And it's just, you know, that, that's, that's the world we live in now in a 24-7 news cycle. Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. And, you know, you're right. You need to start doing things to grow build more jobs and the last thing again you need is to eliminate the 1700 jobs because with if you eliminate those jobs then any new growth is just 
neutralized. It boggles my mind. Um, tell us a little bit, because I have been to the Wheeling Island, Wheeling area several times. In fact, I was just uh, the last several months in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, mm-hmm. And I did ask a lot of people when I was there in Pittsburgh uh, what they thought of the, the casino and the dog racing there. And they all, all loved it and loved the area. Tell us, t- tell us a little bit why it's a great area and why you may consider taking a vacation there. Okay. Well, in my area, we're, like you said, Pittsburgh. It's about 40 minutes yeah. away. So we have you know, the influence of a large metropolitan city like Pittsburgh. And we're not that far from Columbus either. Columbus is about 90 minutes away. And that influence is, is certainly seen here, but yet you still have the kind of a small town feel. You know, we have Ogilvy Park, which people come from all around uh, to play golf, to, to visit uh, the cabins up there and spend long weekends. And we have a lot of people coming now because we have a sports betting pass in West Virginia. And, and with the mobile app, people are coming in, in to enjoy that because it's not available in Ohio, for instance. So there are many things going on here on the local level that you have the kind of a big influence from Pittsburgh and Columbus in those areas, but yet you still have that small town feel. And I think that's a good way for us to sell ourselves to the rest of the world. So, hey, you know, we're getting, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds here. And the Northern Panhandle of West Virginia is unique in that sense. I mean, my accent doesn't sound like the Charleston accent. It's a little different. <laughs> West Virginia kind of has, you know, I'm, I sound more like a Yenzer than I do um, a Southern West Virginian or even the Eastern Panhandle for that matter that has the, the Washington DC influence. So it's a unique area uh, with unique people. And, you know, we, we fell on hard times and what we do is we, we battle and build ourselves back up. You know, we were a thriving industry when it comes to industry, old steel industry in the state, in the coal industry, that was kind of the driving force for the decades of the past, but it's not going to be for the decades of the future. And, and that's kind of the hard reality we, we're facing right now because you have kind of the old guard who's unwilling to relinquish the power and realize we, we have to be more than what we are. And then you have newly elected officials like myself and others like Moore Capito, who is on the other side of the aisle, but realizes, yeah, you know, we can't play with the same deck of cards we've been playing with because we've, we've been folding our hand for too long. Time to move on. We've got to build, our, build up our intellectual capital, take advantage of what we do have, which we have West Virginia University only about, uh, about an hour and 15 minutes from Wheeling. And that's a thriving area. Morgantown's doing very, very well. And we can build off that intellectual capital and keep it here because what's happening now is young people, when they look at West Virginia, they think, why, why would I go there or why would I remain there? And a lot of that is because we've, we've failed to kind of adapt and evolve with the times. And that involves a lot of politics. And that's where I'm having the real fight right now because you have that old guard that doesn't want to let go. And then you have a few coming in that say, it's time. Your time's up. Yeah. You mentioned Ogilvy. Kathy and I have been there a couple of times. There was a... Uh, the resort. The resort. The uh, veterinarian conference was there a couple right. of times. Lovely place. And I, while I never brought my golf clubs, I am planning to come back because that looked to be like some awesome golf there. Well, you've had a couple of friends, you said, that have yeah. been there and... And we're chiding you not bringing your clothes. Uh, the thing I, I loved the most was the, you know, waking up and seeing the deer just walking around. And I, I think for us, for a little vacation time, I would say that was probably the most relaxing because there was no city noise. No, it was yeah. just out in the middle of nowhere, the clean air, um, beautiful countryside. Yeah. I mean, loved you, it. it wasn't rural, rural, but you had that nice feel of, of nature. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, now, Sean, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit <laughs> in a nice way. Uh, nothing bad. Um, you've um, now been learning about greyhounds and meeting a lot of greyhounds. And uh, what is your personal favorite thing about greyhounds? Is there something that have you know you've looked and went, "Wow, they're a cool dog because." Well, it's the demeanor. I always thought originally they would be like super hyper uh-huh. just because, hey, you're running all the time. But they have this like calm, cool, and collected demeanor about them, which in reality, you can make them great pets even in apartments. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? yeah. you, think you, you think you have a greyhound that you have to have this track out back, and that's not necessarily how it works. You, you might need to go on a few walks, but uh, for the large, but for the most part, it's the demeanor. In fact, my, my cousin has adopted numerous greyhounds. Oh, that cool. are retired racers from the Wheeling area. And I'm, I'm very much contemplating adopting myself because Sean Fluherty the Greyhound is in Wheeling. And, you know, it, it's so tough battling my career with politics and having an animal. I already have one dog, and uh-huh. he's not very, he would not be very happy if I brought a second one home. But, uh, understandable. And, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> It's one of those things where I debated uh, basically every hour of every day. I'm like, oh, I just need to go get him. Well, need to go get him. <laughs> well, and then I'll be gone for the next 60 days. Yeah. Session. That's the problem. Well, what's really nice is you are taking those things into consideration, and those are a sign of a very good pet owner. So maybe, you know, one day with all your hard work in the future ahead of you, you will adopt a gray, an X-Racing Greyhound. <laughs> well, and just remember, something to have in your debate is once you adopt one, you'll probably be getting a second and a third one. And you, yeah. you, you mentioned their demeanor, and that's what I also people need to understand and know about these dogs. They're great pets, not because of anything I did, Sean did, Kathy did. They're great pets because of the people who raised them at the farms then send them off to the tracks and the people working at the tracks. That is why these dogs are the great pets that they are today. They come to us great pets because of these hardworking people who pay taxes, who care about the animals. That's why they're great pets. Well, and one of your main points I've always has been regarding greyhounds is they are raised with their family they're with their moms for a long time they're with their litter mates a lot of times when they go to schooling they're you know with their litter mates and even you know at the tracks you'll find family together so these dogs are very hands-on with people and comfortable and and just like a they're already pets in in a matter of speaking and as somebody who loves the sport loves the people who work the sport um I believe in West Virginia, the Greyhounds are in great hands with you, Sean. Any last words for our listeners? No, just uh, play, pay close attention to the next few weeks and months here in West Virginia because we're going to have a big fight on our hands and we can use all the help we can get. Anybody who's out there, feel free to reach out to me. Find me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at WVUFLU. That's just WVUFLU. I've had it since... Since I was at West Virginia University, and uh, I'm, not the, I'm not the typical politician who creates some different name just because he's running for office. That's me. That's who I am. You can find me on Twitter and also my delegate page. Just search for uh, Delegate Sean Fluhardy on Facebook and reach out to me and follow what's going on. Like you said, um, it's all hands on deck, and we're going to need people from throughout the country to, to chip in and help out and, and try to fight this as one big family because that's really what it is well i know that when you pull out put out that call to action there will be many many people 
coming coming to your aid and we hope that this you know having you on our show today has and increased that and we will follow up as the session gets going on for our listeners with that i want to thank our guest sean thank you again for joining us today i want to thank our engineer aaron great as always tacy our producer fabulous love the little kitties on your pants Okay, she has tights on with a well, cat print. Well, I wasn't going to say tights, but with that, I want to oh, okay. thank our listeners for joining us today. I want to thank everyone for being great citizens. Hug those hounds. Have a great weekend, everyone. Arr! Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.